All right, for the six of you that have not surrendered yourself to a tree stand already, we're back with another episode of Backlash Podcast. And this week I have Chase Gibson and my usual co-host, Brad Hoppy on, and we have no guests, so we have no real agenda. So we're going to kind of fly by the seat of our pants this week. Chase was uh, hanging out back at home in West Virginia. So Chase, you've been doing a little bit of fishing. We can talk about that. I know Brad... And you have been on the water in Minnesota trying to finish up your last couple episodes of Mayhem's 10,000 casts, which surprisingly people will actually be able to start seeing some of that footage in less than two months. Hard to believe that we've already made it through almost an entire another musky season for those of us that have seasons. Chase, you can probably go back home after, you know, whenever the season ends there in Minnesota and you can get right back on another bite, but... For those of us that have seasons, it's almost another season upon us, and it felt like it last week. It doesn't feel like it so much right now, and tomorrow is supposed to be 60 in my area, which is, let's see, tomorrow would be, oh, what is that? November 6th, I believe. Today is the 5th, if I'm not mistaken. Sunday night, we should be watching football, the Bills and the Bengals, but we're not. We're recording podcasts. So, enough rambling, guys. How are things going? Let's talk a little bit about uh, musky fishing this week. Well, the musky fishing, Jeff, has been a little bit tough, and it's not just been tough in our boat. The way it sounds, talking to people from Minnesota, Wisconsin, and kind of throughout the whole Midwest, I don't know. Things have been just a little bit slow. I know there's a few sucker guys that are catching a few, but um, bait looks non-existent on your graphs, and the muskies have been kind of stingy. But I think a lot of that is after the moon. You know, it's been kind of weird the last three moon phases that we've had. I've seen kind of a lull, and then all of a sudden it picks right back up. So looking forward to this week as we progress into the season here a little bit further. And uh, Chase and I got one more show to to button up for Mayhem's 10,000 cast. Looking forward to that, and we're probably going to do a trolling episode, and I think things are going to turn back around. So when fishing's tough, it always seems like, uh, you know, I wait a few days and, and it starts firing back up. I would agree with the uh, whole toughness thing. We had a little trip on Friday to the Wisconsin River, and it was brutal, like very brutal. Quite honestly, it was it was, it was, it was, it was nice because, like, honestly, for a fall day, like November day, it wasn't quite as nice as what it was yesterday and today, but it was still a very nice day. It was like 45. We had a little bit of drizzle in the morning that kind of cleared off, and then it was just a good day for casting. I got By the end of the day, the sun poked out just a little bit. I actually took off my winter bibs, so that was kind of nice. Hands weren't very cold. I got to play around with um, this pen reel. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast. It's a low-profile pen reel, 6 point, gosh, I wish I knew right now, 6.2 to 1 gear ratio. It's the uh, pen fathom. I got one, uh, I don't know, like earlier this fall, September, and for a, uh, if you're looking for an alternative to uh, some of the other brands that are out there, it's a, uh, I was impressed with it. It's been a nice reel. Of course, I didn't get to put a muskie in the net with it yesterday or Friday, but still nice to get out and, and throw baits around, especially because we still can a week ago, man, it was, it was scary. I thought we were going to be shutting the season down early, Brad. It was pretty rough. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeff, I think as musky anglers, um, walleye anglers, whatever it might be, we always panic when we start seeing those temps drop. But when you look at bigger bodies of water, it definitely takes a lot of time for that water to cool down to that freezing point. And, you know, you can say that warmer water freezes quicker. There's no question about it. I mean, being on the water, you'll see that temp drop a degree or two degrees when you have those really, really cold days. But ultimately, 
it takes a lot to drop that water. And uh, you just got to realize it's, it's going to take a good week and a half, two weeks before you really see it drop. And you just pay attention to that 10 day and pray for the best there. You know what I mean? I, ultimately, I think we all overreact to those falling temps. I got to say, though, like on Friday when I was on the river, the water temperatures there were like 39.8 or something like that already. I mean, we had some pretty cold temps with uh, some snow and stuff the week before. So I don't know. It was a little, like I said, it was a, a little bit scary. But I, like I said, I looked at the long range forecast. I don't even know that there's many nights that get below freezing. So for the next two weeks, anyways, from what I saw, unless something drastically changes, anglers should be able to get out and chase muskies yet for a little while if you're so inclined to do so. I know many anglers have already decided to ditch the fishing poles and pick up a gun or a bow or a whatever to go shoot things but i'm not one of them i will hopefully try to get another trip or two in yet this year if possible we'll see what the schedule allows i just went over it with you brad it's a it's a lot of basketball and that's that time of year i guess we just go from football to basketball it's fun yeah well with four kids jeff i mean you got your hands full that's for sure i would love to have you share the boat with us i've worked on you i don't know three years now um, it's probably been five or six years since you've been over my direction. Um, we got to spend a little bit of time in the boat last fall, but, uh, that was short lived cause Chase ended up sick and needed to get him home. But, uh, one of those gigs, right? I mean, I, I know how busy you are not only with, uh, with work and everything else, but family really becomes an important part of that whole uh, scenario as well. So. I understand. It's just tough, but I would love to get you over here and try to button up this last show with us. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yes, last fall. <laughs> Chase with the old COVID or whatever. I don't know if he actually had COVID, but whatever. It seemed like it anyways. Bad deal. Whatever I had, it sucked, and I don't ever want it again. <laughs> Having a high fever in the boat when it's only like 20, 25 degrees is not very fun, and, and we kind of made him suffer for at least a good day there, but... <laughs> Uh, a quick trip and bought him some soup and he couldn't even eat the soup so i knew that it was probably time to pack it up and go home yeah but you gotta admire his toughness he definitely tried to he tried to tough it out he did that and he was willing to try to do it again the next day but you know when ibuprofen would kick in like say an hour hour and a half later he'd be alive and then he'd just tip right back over i'm like "Ah, it's time to pack it up yep definitely all right, Chase, let's talk a little bit about southern muskie fishing because you went back home. You abandoned uh, Brad for a little bit, and you went back home to, you know, whatever, see mom and dad, I'm guessing, right, see family, get back, because yeah. it had been uh, probably since June since you'd been back home. Yeah, yeah, it's been, I believe, uh, I was actually probably last week of June, I'd say I came up this year. Um, I went home to see the family and... They know just as well as I probably should have known that I was going to do more fishing than visiting with family. So I ended up doing quite a bit of fishing. Um, it was pretty cool because uh, my dad got to, he's he's got out of musky fishing and he's starting to get back into musky fishing in the last few years. And he decided to take a couple of days off work and we fished together every day. So it was nice to, to get out and do some fishing with dad and uh, not have to worry about the business or filming or anything. Just get out and do some fishing and so to my surprise the fishing was very very tough the first two days and then after those two days they went lights out and i don't know if i was doing something wrong the first two days or if they just weren't eating but the rest of the week was extremely good um surprisingly good for 
for back home this time of year. October fishing back home is usually one of my favorites because it's a good uh, good time of year to catch some big fish and catch them doing some fun things, just throwing a bucktail and uh, some topwater as well. And that is exactly what they wanted. That we were catching. I think we were averaging probably four to five fish a day for three or four days straight. And it, they were all eating 10 nines and detonators and got a couple on fat bastards and Dr. Evils as well. So I was extremely happy to do that. It was very fun for sure. I'd mentioned a new reel that I'd gotten. Did anybody get any, any, have you guys had a chance to play around with any new gear? I got one new bait I got to play around with the other day too from Musk Innovations. Everybody's been trying to get a, get their hands on one i got a uh, quad dog have, have you guys did, did brad ru by any chance get you guys one to film with and fish with yeah we we ended up getting some quad dogs i don't know a couple weeks ago and we just buttoned up our show number 12 and what we did was a, a late fall beginning of november uh casting bite and so we were throwing big rubber and got the first fish um on a quad dog in the boat so that was kind of cool and uh, we also did get on some mag dogs and a couple other baits so we began our trips with trolling and the reason we did is that the mornings were very very cold and so we mixed in a little bit of trolling just to try to locate some fish as well as uh, keep our reels from freezing and then once uh, the weather kind of warmed up to that 32 degree mark we started casting and, and the, yes the quad dog is pretty interesting Definitely got a lot of drag in the water, being that there's four tails on there. It's a bait that uh, I think the public is going to really enjoy, that's for sure. Chase, your opinions? Yeah, for sure. It's got a lot lot more uh, drag in the water than a lot of things. It uh, One thing that I do like about it, Brad Rue actually explained this to us, and with the bottom of it, it's got a, a very flat bottom that's wider than the majority of the bodies. And... It looks kind of odd, but he did that to give it some glide so it doesn't just sink head first, which it, it does sink head first, but it also has a glide to it as well. And another reason he did that is when a fish, which fish generally eat coming from under the bait, when it looks up, it's a big profile, but when they actually clamp down on that bait, there's not much rubber there to keep you from getting those hooks in that fish. So it's got a big profile with that flat bottom. But the top is skinny enough that they can really clamp down that bait. and You've got pretty much just all hooks there. So I think with the minimal time that we got to use it, we had one fish eat it and we caught it. But I do think that will be a very good hookup ratio rubber bait in the future for sure. I like that aspect of it as well. Like I said, I just played around with it a little bit. I did shoot some underwater video of it. So we'll have a video of the underwater footage at some point before you can buy them. But a very cool bait for this year. Uh, you know, we'll self or shameless, shamelessly plug things. I built the product. So if you want, it's on our website. The pricing p could potentially change a little bit, especially on the custom items. I don't have custom pricing on it, but if you go on to our website, you can scroll down a little bit. You can find the quad dog, click on it, and then click on the thing where it'll say like, email me when available and it'll shoot out emails. If you want to get signed up for every color that's in stock, every color that you want, you can do that. Uh, pretty easily you just have to enter your email address and hit enter or whatever it is and then when you go to the next one to click a different color you don't have to do that all you have to do is literally click the color and hit submit so shamelessly i will plug that if you want to get on the we'll call it the pre-email list or pre pre-wait list or whatever 
for the quad dog go to our website check it out and like i said the pricing might change i think we're about where we're going to be i we've had a few conversations back and forth but i don't have anything exactly confirmed but it should be close to where we're at give or take a dollar or two i'm guessing so definitely a, a new bait and so uh i'm trying to think i don't i don't really get to play around with any other ones that much i did get to play with a new jerk bait from Livingston Lures. I'll talk about when it gets closer. Everybody's been kind of asking me about that one a little bit too. That's been on our website also. And I don't know when exactly that's going to come out. It might be January yet. I don't know. Everyone was hoping for fall, but I don't think that's going to happen at all. I haven't heard any updates lately. So new stuff. Check it out on our on our website. All right, guys. So you know, you were both talking about how you have one show and it's typically a trolling show. You know, for people that are out fishing in the late fall, like what do you guys use for, for bait options? Is it strictly just supernatural baits or, or are you mixing up sizes? Are you mixing up colors? Like kind of let's talk about the program a little bit. You know, we don't want to give it away totally, but like, I mean, it, realistically, if they catch them, you're going to see it on the show anyways. But, you know, let's talk about that. Is it all flat-sided baits? Are you using anything else? You know, I mean, I know Minnesota anglers are typically going big. Is that all you guys do is use big? Well, I, I typically use big baits throughout the whole season, right? Right from the start. So opening weekend, I'm going to throw big baits, and I continue that pattern through the whole season. And primarily the reason that I use a lot of the bigger baits is in today's world of muskie angling, it seems like the trend is more small baits. I don't know. It's kind of it mind boggles me because... If you think about it, um, a lot of the bait fish that muskies are targeting are generally bigger, right? So myself, I like big baits. And one of the things that I could say, if we're casting, it's generally bigger rubber. I don't generally use pounders anymore late in the fall. And that's because my shoulder is shot and my back hurts and everything else. But you know, the new quad dog was a, a prime example. And then, you know, if you look at a Husky Dusa or a mag dog, that's the kind of rubber that I'm talking about. And I mean, those are all bigger profile baits. And then if you talk to Chase, Chase is going to, I'll let him kind of expel on what he actually does. And he threw a lot of pounders. And, and then we should maybe even talk a little bit about how we're working those baits and typically in the fall i like to work them a little bit slower and so we'll, we'll kind of mix it up here a little bit as far as trolling jeff you know I, I like bigger baits and the one thing that i've seen over the last three to four years it's really interesting to me but if i'm going to use a headlock it's a 12 inch and if i'm going to use a matlock which is a little bit wider bodied i'm using a 10 inch and i, I don't know exactly why i go that path um, but that's kind of what the fish have told me. Now, I will say this whole season has been a little bit interesting. It seems like the fish want a little bit wilder bait than they normally do, especially this far into the season. And so the matlock has actually been a, a pretty good bait. But just to give you a reference, um, 13-inch grandmas, we kicked off the 12th show of the season with a TRO gold walleye 13-inch grandma. So definitely throwing some of that in there and then you can look at the 14 inch slammers and there's so many different baits that we use but i do like the larger profi profile and secondary i also like anything that has a ton of flash so anything that's got prism or it's foiled maybe it's glitter 
definitely things to key in on, especially as this water, you know, you get into turnover and the water starts clearing up. I just think it calls fish in. Hey, at least somebody caught fish on that TRO gold walleye. I think that thing looks dynamite. I think it's going to get crushed more than just once. It's awesome. It could be really cool if you would have had some foil added in there, Jeff. <laughs> I'm telling you, come up with some foil colors. We'll get those done. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's one of them deals where I really do believe in the foil and I believe in, in the glitter, like I said. But, you know, if you think about it, that TRO gold walleye definitely throws a lot of color into the water. Those bars on there, it's kind of iridescent. It's, it's a super cool color. So we were excited to get fish on that right away. That was basically the first day I've ever trolled it. So probably first 15 minutes with it, actually. Right. Because I have a, uh, we did a little trolling one evening. Um, and I had a 13 inch grandma out. I can't think of the color. It's the chartreuse belly, the shad, the chartreuse shad, but I don't know what you call it in the grandma there, Jeff, but chartreuse shad. Okay. So the chartreuse shad, 13 inch grandma, that's obviously one of my favorite colors that you have throughout all of your lures. And, um, we ran it, we got a fish on it pretty quickly. And the other morning when we were getting out to do that, a uh, little shoot there about the casting shoot like we said it was cold in the morning so we needed a troll to let it warm up a little bit because it was very cold and i pulled out that one and i pulled out the brown one and my vote was definitely toward the chartreuse shad because that's the one i like and that's the one we just caught on and brad so let's run that gold walleye a little bit i thought you know what that one doesn't look that bad i'll i'll, I'll let him have that one so we put that one out i don't know first fish we marked actually marked it on side imaging and I turned uh, the scope over to see if it was coming up. And as soon as I got the scope over to where the fish should be, I could see it going vertical and the thing's shooting up. And I said, yep, it's coming to eat. And the uh, rod went off and the rest is history. Uh, bait proved itself very quickly. But I do think that was a, that was a more of a overcast morning, I would say. And I do think in a brighter day, I would rather go to the chartreuse shed. And that's just basic uh, knowledge i guess that and, and none of this is set in stone but what i've always done if it's a dark day i use dark colors if it's a bright day i use bright colors so we tried the tro walleye and uh, got it done on a dark day i typically subscribe to that same that same theory dark day dark baits bright day bright baits that's uh like you said that's pretty common i think isn't it i mean i i've heard it the other way but i mean yeah. I've, I've heard it explained to me different reasoning why you know, like against uh, typically on a dark day, you got that cloudy background, so the bright, the dark baits stand out against the cloudy background. Assuming a muskie's feeding up and looking at it over the top, so that's kind of the thought process on that. Yeah, and I and I think color is the least important of of this whole aspect, but uh, it's all what the fisherman wants. I think it's very important for the fisherman's confidence. Do I think the fish ate it because it's that color? Not generally. Um, sometimes it does seem like that, but not not as often as I would like to uh, uh, see. It definitely just seems to be that they eat whatever they want, whenever they want. And we just happen to make the right decision to put the right bait on at times. But um, going back to size of baits for up here and trawling, what I've noticed and what I, in my opinion, I think the, lot, the big reason a lot of the Minnesota guys um, use a lot bigger stuff, because obviously when I'm back home, I'm not, I wouldn't even consider putting a 13-inch gram on a, on a trolling rod back home. And that the reason is our fish eat 
shad. They're eating three to six inch shad and that's what they want. So my main baits, like a 22 short and stuff like that, really small baits. But up here, I think a huge reason that the big baits work so well is because a lot of the trolling that people do in Minnesota is open water or over deep water or um, deep break lines. It's not a lot of shallow trolling is what I found. I don't really... I've never really heard of anyone that's really doing a lot of shallow trolling here in Minnesota for the most part. So I think having that bigger bait pushes more water, fish notice it a lot better in that deeper water, and uh, they can track that big bait down and eat it. And as well, like Brad said, most of the bait that they're eating when they're out there in that deep water is going to be a big bait fish. But but you go out there in the open water and you see Cisco's down deep or suspended sometimes. But you do see a lot of uh, shiners, so lots and lots of schools of shiners. This year, during the open water trolling, I brought up some of my smaller baits, thinking that it would work. And that day, those days, they weren't really eating anything. But we did have a few follows on some boss shads um, in the open water. And so that was kind of cool to see. I would have liked to have done it when they were actually biting baits and seeing if I could have got it to work. But... You can't always count out those little baits. And I think when we do this trolling episode here shortly, I'm going to uh, to uh, run some smaller baits as well, just to experiment a little bit. Oh, all right. Hold on. You know, Brad, you, you talked a lot about, you know, matlocks, headlocks, and grandma baits. Like, I guess they're all big. They're all big pro- profiles, especially if you're looking at like the 13 inch size, like, how do you determine on a day, especially for you guys, if unless you have a whole bunch of people in the boat, you, you know, if it's just you and Chase, you guys literally can choose two baits. How do you decide when it's going to be a grandma day versus when it's going to be a, like, headlock, matlock day? Well, it definitely plays to the history side of things, right? And, and what you've done throughout all your years of fishing. And, again, you know, Chase touched on it, too. You definitely want to have something that's going to bring you confidence when you're fishing, right? I definitely have the utmost confidence in both grandmas and supernatural. Over the years, I mean, it's just hard to beat. But there's some other baits in there that play a factor as well. And, I, you know, the hex bait, definitely something that I've always used. I mean, it, it's a bait that's uh, it's a staple. You, you definitely want to mix that into the scenario. The other one is your slammer baits. And so you can't let those kind of go. Uh, 10 inch Jake. I mean, if you think about all the years that I've done this, I've caught a pile of fish on 10 inch Jake's. You can't, you can't deny those as being a quality bait that is going to get the work done for you when you're out on the water trolling. But for whatever reason, I mean, I keep going back to grandma's and supernatural. I mean, that's the bread and butter for us in our boat. So until the fish tell us something different, we're going to continue using those products, right? And and it's amazing because we did a trolling shoot in October, and the 10-inch matlocks were definitely key, and we caught fish on other baits as well. But at the end of the day, um, you kind of keep that trend going when it's working for you. You don't veer from that, if you will. And one thing to consider about what people have watched on the show or trolling episodes, most of the fish... I don't even know if we have any fish that aren't on a 12-inch headlock or a grandma. One thing to consider is when we're out there and we're filming and we need to get a show done, we are going to troll the baits that we have the most confidence in. So we're not, so to speak, experimenting a ton. 
And uh, so we're going to troll the baits that we know work, and we're not going to experiment that much. And say if we go out there, we're not filming, we're just fishing. I definitely experiment a lot on my rod for sure. I just throw out all kinds of stuff. I give them 30 minutes to an hour run time. If we're getting a lot of follows, the fish, we're seeing fish come up or we're running over fish on side imaging or watching them follow on live scope and they keep saying no, I change things a lot quicker. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when we're filming, we're definitely going to go, I would say if we had two rods, one rod's going to have a 13-inch grandma and one's going to have a 12-inch headlock for sure. The other juice to this whole thing, too, something that Chase and I can maybe explain a little bit as well, is there's certain baits that always seem to catch, right? And so you always want to go back to those baits. And we've really paid attention over the past, whatever, five, six years. Um, before I knew Chase, we talk about this all the time. And since we've got to know each other, two years now on our show, there's that black silver washboard bait that has worked so well, the 12-inch headlock that we're using. And it's caught countless, countless fish. Why is that bait working? So we've tried to identify it. You know, you watch your rod tip, you watch how it's swimming, you watch where the hook rash is. And that's one thing that Chase and I have kind of come up with is paying attention to the hook rash on the baits that are always catching. It's not necessarily one that's running true where your hook rash is even on both sides of the bait. It's definitely something to key in on. And once you start finding some of those baits, I mean, you could look back at a suic. You know, everybody says, well, this suic works really good and this one doesn't. And when you have wood baits in your mix, they're not all created equal. So you definitely start paying attention to why is that bait working? Why is this one catching fish? This one doesn't. And uh, you're looking for all the idiosyncrasies. And, and I do think that there's something special when some of these baits don't swim even or have that hook rash perfectly on both sides. So you're going to want to start looking through your tackle box. And if you start observing what that hook rash looks like on a particular bait, you definitely might find some little secrets on, on triggering fish to bite. You know, based on the... Uh what you guys had talked about, you know, the baits that you had talked about that you lean to the most, it would appear that re- the uh, the rattles or, or baits that make sound are not of a major importance to you? I'm not a rattle guy, personally. Uh, I won't say that I haven't caught fish. I just got done saying that 10-inch jakes are, are one of my staple baits for many, many years. I'm talking 25 years. I, I love them, but in the last, I don't know how many years, it, I've went to the quiet baits, that's for sure. I, I've definitely done back home and obviously up here with Brad, but mainly back home, I've definitely done better on quiet stuff. And I always have in the dirty water. I've never understood it, but in other guys on the lake um, that I'm fishing have said the same thing. It could be pre-spawn fishing in March and the water clarity's three to six inches on a good day. And you hear a lot about, like, the cave run guys. They're throwing rattle traps. Well, that's an extremely loud rattle bait. And we just have never been able to get that bite to work that great. I mean, we've caught fish on them, but not anything crazy. And it seems like it's always a quiet bait, even in that muddy water. And I have no idea why that is. It's, it's, the, it's the quiet bait and the super tight wobble that time of year in March. And then throughout the entire season, I would say the loudest rattling bait that I've done extremely well on is the 22 short. And that is just a one knocker bait. That's not 
five DBs in there that's rattling like crazy. It's just a constant tick, 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 tick. And I do use a lot of that, but stuff that's very loud and has tons of rattles, I've never done super great on. I don't know why, just never really done great on them. The other side to that, in my opinion, <laughs> I've seen bites, and this goes back to the Malax days. If you do have a bait in the mix that rattles, it's kind of a sacrifice bait. And what I mean by that is it's probably not going to get eaten. I'm not going to say it can't. But a lot of times it'll attract fish to the silent bait. So that's definitely a little key to, to think about as well. And I, I've done that with my mast system. When I'm trolling the mast, I might have a rattle bait off the back of the board. And the only reason it's there, there's no hooks on it. It's just on the board and it's rattling. And the reason it's out there is just to attract fish to come to the silent bait. So definitely something to think about as well. I've, I've done that back home on a clear body of water I have and the days that I do that and it seems to really make a difference is very dark overcast days. Raining or overcast, I would definitely put out a rattle bait if you've got if you can run more than one rod or whatever, put out a loud crankbait. Um probably the best one that I found for that or what I always use is a ten inch believer, straight jointed or straight ten inch believer. And I try to get that believer pretty darn close to the bait that I think they're going to eat. So what I would do is I would put the, we're back home, we don't have a rod limit. I would put the 10-inch straight believer on the down rod and just say I run it at 10 feet. Well, I would try to get my supernatural 10 feet behind that bait and maybe on a board. So, and a little higher than that believer. Because the reason I have that, and this is, really became apparent when I can watch what the fish does with live scope while trolling. They'll come up and they'll look at the believer, but they won't eat it. Sometimes they will, but most of the time they won't. And they'll be following that believer. And if you have that headlock at the same depth or deeper than that believer, a lot of times, for whatever reason, when they start getting lazy on that believer and they're falling back behind the believer, and then all of a sudden there's a supernatural running inches above its head it kind of scares the fish sometimes sometimes they eat it but a lot of times it scares them so i always try to have it behind the believer 10 to 20 feet and above the believer that way when they're following that believer and then they start getting lazy on the believer and it looks like they're going to leave your spread they're going back they're going back and then you see them that headlock is perfectly two to three feet above their head and then they see that headlock and they shoot up and eat that headlock and I've done that with that. I've done that um, back home as well with uh, a 22 short. So I had, I think I had like two weeks that I had the best trolling bite I've ever got on in my entire life back home. And I was doing a lot of guiding. And for whatever reason, this one day, these fish, they were all in like 10 to 12 feet of water. And I was running my baits, say, eight feet down, 10 to eight feet down. And one day I went out there, I had like a three-day period where they would not shoot off the bottom four feet to come look at the bait and they would only eat the shallow running crankbait. And I don't know why this was, but they were only eating the shallow running crankbait that I could only get down eight feet. So that bait was running at eight feet. So what I did is I put the 22 short down at 10 feet and I kept my boat in 12. Well, they would shoot up and look at that, tw that 22 short at 10 feet, but they wouldn't eat it. And then when they got lazy, like I'm talking about with the believer, when they got lazy and started backing off, then that shallow running crankbait's right there two feet above their head and they'd shoot up and eat it. Why they wouldn't eat the 22 short, I have no idea, but I had like four or five days and that is the only way I could catch a fish, was getting them to shoot up on the 22 short, follow it because it's closer to the bottom. They have more likely to come up and look at a bait that's only two feet above their head. 
So they'd follow it, they'd get lazy on it, and then they'd shoot up and eat that shallow running crankbait above their head. And I don't know why that was, but it was really, really cool to be able to piece that together. And it put a couple fish in my boat because of that. The one thing that I can say about that is I do think that if the fish are very, very active, they're going to eat the first bait that goes through. For sure. And if they're a little bit lazier and they're like, yeah, I don't really need to eat. When you have a school of baits running over them in a trolling pattern, they, a lot of times when they're lazy, they will eat the second or third bait that goes through. So, and I, I do think Chase is on online there when he's talking about having that second or third bait higher in the water column because you already charged them up a little bit. They're still a little bit lazy, but now they got to make a second or a third decision to, uh, to eat or not eat. I always, and honestly anymore, I tried to do that, and I, I don't know. I guess I would call it stacking the bait. I want to stack my baits. I want to have my deep diver close to the boat, two feet above it. I want to have my middle rod two feet above it. I want to have the shallowest running bait in my spread. And I want them all to be spaced out, I would say, eight to ten feet. So the 22 short is at ten feet down, and then ten feet behind that and two feet above that is another bait. And then ten feet behind that and two feet above that is another bait. So every time they get off of the, the first bait through, then they got a second chance to eat something else. And if they really don't want that, then they're going to go and eat that third bait. And that has helped to put a lot of fish in my boat trolling. But here in Minnesota, and you can only run rod, one rod per person, it's hard to do that. But back home where we have unlimited, um, I, I was able to do that a lot every day. So it, it definitely works. If, you, if you're able to do that, run more lines, I would highly recommend doing that. It's, it's pretty crazy. Some days they want that first bait through, some days they want that third bait through. Another aspect to consider is what we're talking about right now, and we did this quite a bit this fall already. If it's only the two of us, or say it's three of us um, in the boat, so we're only running two or three lines, a lot of times we'll stack the baits on one side of the boat. And the reason we're doing that is to make that school or grouping those baits up so that you're utilizing that technique even when you have two or three people in the boat. And it seems kind of strange, but, you know, you would think a wider spread might help you. But a lot of times having that school of baits going through a zone definitely will help you more than having that big wide spread. Yeah. Especially, we did that especially uh, structure trolling. We were, we were uh, trolling the... The brake line we wanted we figured and most of us that we were marking were all on one side of the boat and we were driving the boat and say 25 feet of water all the fish were on the inside of the boat so we put all rods on that side so now you've got more chances of your baits running over fish for one and two you've got the stacked school of bait fish there for them to have plenty of choices to eat a bait all right, I guess the next thing we would talk about then would be like running depths. Like nowadays, Brad, I mean, especially if you're, you know, you're typically, I think, fishing deep, clear lakes, which isn't very, I mean, you could find those up in northern Wisconsin as well. Like, I mean, how deep are you running baits these days? I generally don't run a bait deeper than 10, 12 feet. And in the fall, I might run one 12 to 15. But in the spring and June, I mean, that's not what we're talking about right now at this particular part of the season. But in June, I won't run anything deeper than 10 foot generally. And it's amazing. And in the fall, honestly, I think you could have it right on the surface. The reason I say that is after turnover, our water just clears up so much. And it's so amazing by using live scope when you're trolling 
live scope just the interaction with the fish and being able to see how they they can find things and see things from such a distance it's mind-boggling honestly if you're in 30 feet of water that fish might be laying on bottom and the bait is say eight to ten feet under the surface yeah that fish has got to move say 22 feet to to come up on the bait 22 feet's nothing and the way to measure that is if you're in a 20-foot boat you're in an 18-foot boat look from the transom to the bow and 18 feet's really not that far and and those fish are so aware especially in the clear water i mean if you're in stained dirty water it might be a little bit different factor but i guarantee you they still are able to observe or hear or find that really really quickly don't be afraid i i really i mean 50 feet of water if you're trolling like say some open water if your bait's at 10 foot and that fish is down 20 30 feet it's going to see your bait it's going to find it and so generally speaking they're predatory fish they're they're feeding up having your bait higher you never want to be below the bait or below the the muskie i should say and that's kind of the general rule will that change say at night do you want to try to get closer to the strike zone at night or is that not something you worry about you don't change your depth much at night you maybe maybe just look at your speed Post turnover up here, I don't think it matters whatsoever. I would say before turnover, I wouldn't want it to be more than 10 feet above their head, in my opinion. I don't know what Brad thinks. So in my opinion, I wouldn't want my bait any, any farther away than 10 feet. I think you'll still catch fish, but I think at night, before turnover, um, I think you're better off to have it as close to the fish's head as possible. But after turnover, I don't think it matters. I mean, it, this... This whole Minnesota stuff that I've done here in the last two or three years, um, post-turnover trolling has absolute, absolutely blown my mind of how aware these things can get up here within this clear water. I mean, it is nuts. Now, back home, it's a completely different story. Back home, I never want my baits any, any farther away than five feet above their head. I don't care about any time of year or anything. It's always, I need to have that bait within five feet of the of the fish's head. But up here, they can see so far here after after turnover when that water gets clear. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. We got a lot of talk of trolling baits there. What about casting baits? What are you, what are you looking at for size and stuff for that for, for this time of year? Yeah, Jeff, like Brad said, he does a lot of the um, mag dog, quad dog now, um, regular Medusa, and he does so husky some. Um, I definitely lean more toward a pounder, and I think that's just because when I was a little kid and watching guys fish on TV up here, like uh, Keys Outdoors, just a couple of his episodes of him doing that real cold weather, throwing pounders for whatever reason, it's always been something I've wanted to do up here. So I typically stick to a pounder, and um, when I'm throwing a bulldog, and the reason I do that is, is just like I said, with the open water stuff and this post turnover, how we're talking about how well they can see. So I want to have the biggest bait I can throw for 12 to 13 hours a day if we're doing it. I want to have that biggest bait I can throw for that long because, in my opinion, that they can see it better. They're going to come up and eat it better. Um, that's just what I like to throw. I like to throw a pounder and a husky medusa. Monster medusa, I don't like to throw that often because those things pull like a freight train. Um, I have caught quite a few fish on those, but I would much rather throw a pounder or a uh, husky medusa. But I will say this in our last episode, which everyone will see this winter, 
Brad whooped me the second day throwing a quad dog and a mag dog while I threw pounders in the back of the boat all day. And that made me really think that, wow, I don't really need to throw this pounder all day. I could probably just throw a mag dog and be completely fine. But one thing that I picked up on watching him, because after, as many of the listeners probably know, once your buddy in the boat, say in the front of the boat and your back of the boat, he's catching more fish than you, you start picking up on what he's doing differently than you. Well, I was doing short, hard rips, my typical rubber style, short, hard rips on a slack line and getting that bait to really hop. And what Brad was doing in the front of the boat was doing probably six to eight foot pulls, I would say. I mean, he's really pulling that bait every pull he's got. And then he's um, reeling up and just doing that long pull again. And for whatever reason, that sec- that day two of their shoot, they wanted that super long pull and then a pause. And when I was in the back of the boat doing short pauses or short rips and the same exact pause as he was, but they were definitely wanting that longer rip. Not sure why, but that is what was working on that day. So I don't think you need to throw a pounder like I originally thought, but I still tend to throw a pounder just because that is one of my favorite rubber baits to throw. If I'm chucking rubber all day, I want to throw a pounder. And I don't know why I'm like that. I wish I wasn't because I definitely pay for it when I'm 20 years from now, I'm sure. But definitely a a bait that I like to throw, but don't always count out those mag dogs and uh, quad dogs now. Well, I definitely think cadence can play a big factor in the whole deal. And, and it could be in the trolling side as well. But, you know, when you have a certain bait in the trolling aspect that has a wider swing or a tighter swing, you know, more of a vibrating tight bobble versus a, a wide wobble, it's no different when you're casting. And if things aren't working for you, you need to change things up. And that's what Chase is kind of alluding to. I was still giving it a pretty good rip right to begin with but then i was drawing out that rip with a long long pull and by doing that my pause may have been a little bit longer but cadence really plays a factor in catching fish and it's definitely something that you need to be aware of and as chase said i mean mixing it up in the boat two different styles or two different uh, people or three people you know communicate about it and and try to figure that out and i definitely think it's going to help you put more fish in the bag that's for sure one thing that's that's extremely interesting about those two days is the first day the fish were definitely more in the following mood um i'm not sure how many we raised but we had quite a few follows and one thing that i definitely picked up on just watching the body language of the fish is that when you're normal when you're throwing rubber you're normal figure eight of what I would say is you're popping it. You you're popping it on the cast and you're popping it on the figure eight and you pause it in the corners. Well, for whatever reason, those fish after the third or fourth fish, I started to realize that they would get really fired up on it. If I would just pull it straight, which is something I would never do. And I would probably yell at clients if they ever did that in my boat. Um, but this was definitely a learning experience. They wanted it to be a, a straight retrieve when it got to the figure eight. Now, they never ate for us, but they were definitely getting more fired up. And it was interesting to, that we were talking about that on the, on the drive home from the lake that night. And then the next day, the bait that's getting bit is doing that long straightaway pull with a pause that Brad was doing. And uh, I, I think that was a very good thing for him to do and experiment because it obviously put fish in the boat. But it was kind of cool. Looking back at it the day before, the following fish that we had definitely wanted that long pull, 
in the figure eight, but we just could not get them to uh, actually open their mouth on the figure eight the first day for whatever reason. I think it's important too, Chase, like what you just said there. I mean, we, we talked about it on the drive home, right? And we show up the next day and had to mix some of that back into what we were going to do. I think when you leave the lake, you know, your mind should be working on what you've seen throughout the day. And as a, a team, you know, if it's two or three people in the boat, figure out what your game plan is for the next day. And I definitely think that will help you put more fish in the boat as well. And being that you can work together, you know, Chase and I work really well together that way. And don't get me wrong, we bicker at each other too, but uh, it, it's all part of the fun, right? And I think uh, it's a team effort and the boat catches fish. And I think uh, there's a celebration, you know, when somebody else is out fishing you on a day, I never get sore about that. I, I want to, you know, we celebrate it all. And I think that's important as well. And keeping a good attitude. So all good factors to putting more fish in your boat. All right, before we get out of here, what's the rod of choice for throwing big rubber for you two? I would highly recommend the Blue Ox from St. Croix. It's got the grasp on it, which is amazing for throwing rubber. Um, I didn't think I would like a stop and go bait on that rod with the grasp. I was extremely wrong. Um, there's nothing wrong with that grasp. I mean, if you've not used it, you will fall in love with it. I promise you. It looks weird. It looks stupid. It looks very awkward. But once you get used to it, you're going to love it. But the rod I would recommend that St. Croix has out right now is uh, is a Blue Ox. It's I believe it's a 9 or a 9.6. But that rod will throw pounders. It will throw regular bulldogs. Um, and it's a very, very good rod. It's got a good backbone, but it also has that little bit of a tip to... Uh, to work some jerk baits as well. I use that rod for rubber. I use it for glide baits. I use it for uh, dying dogs, anything like that. But what we are currently using right now are uh, St. Croix prototypes. We're working on something with St. Croix. No idea when that's going to be available, but that's kind of what we're throwing rubber on right now. Yeah, so if you're watching the TV show, you're going to see kind of this weird tag on the top of the rod, and they are St. Croix blanks. Um, that weird tag is just so that we can actually take information back to St. Croix so that they know exactly what we're using at that time. If we have a failure or we really like it or whatever it might be. But I mean, doing the R&D work with St. Croix has been really fun this year. And it's definitely something that we're going to work on throughout next season as well. And the beauty of it is, is that uh, hopefully the public will get to enjoy some of the, the labors that we're doing throughout this whole season. So I will say this about the grasp, you know, the, the cool thing about it, and I think I talked about it during the show, the filming of the show. I generally wear wool gloves um, when it's really, really cold like this. And it, it was nasty cold last week when we were fishing and casting. So the grasp definitely helped my grip when you're ripping a bait or even during a hook set that grasp kind of gave me the security when you're wearing gloves i'm not a glove wearer i don't like wearing gloves at all when i'm fishing but when it's that cold you have to and the grasp definitely gave me confidence that i wasn't going to slip or my hand was going to readjust while i was setting the hook or fighting a fish so definitely brought some uh, confidence in that aspect as well all right boys well, I think that wraps up another episode of Backlash Podcast. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this week. And we will be back with a new one next Wednesday. Of course, I don't know who the guest will be yet. 
But I'm sure we can dig somebody up to talk musky fishing to help get you through the last bit of the season or, or prime time, depending on where you're fishing. So thanks again for listening. See everybody again next week.